Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, back in the state of Nebraska, and I'm here to talk to Michael Brunts and Brian Christofferson about everything Nebraska football related. Gentlemen, did you miss me? Yeah, yeah, I did. I guess I need to talk because you guys are sharing a microphone like you're in a singing group. We're just going to awkwardly pass it and then at some point just hold our faces close together and talk into the same mic. You want me to just talk loud? (laughs) Brunson and I exchanged many texts while you were gone about longing for you. And uh, lots of gifs. Lots of longing gifs. A lot of late, late night conversations about, man, I wish Schaefer were here right now. He would know. He would know what to tell us for tomorrow, where we need to go with our work. During the first round of the NCAA tournament, at one point I looked outside the window and saw the moon up high in the sky and thought, somewhere Mike is in a smoky (laughs) casino, not aware that the moon is up. Not looking at the same moon as I am. Getting really pissed off that he uh, just lost a 14 parlay. I kept thinking about the Lionel Richie song with that, hello, you know that song? Mm Mm-hmm. I believe it's called Hello, right? Yeah, kind of an emo, and then Adele took it, kind of took her own version. But you know, Mike's a big Adele fan. I am too, actually. Yeah. Yeah, No. Sorry, I I saw her in concert. You did, Mm -hmm. Denver, Colorado, second to last row. Was it worth it? Was it worth the trip? Uh, It was. (laughs) Yeah, you better weigh in on this. Get the microphone to Schaefer. Yeah, I enjoyed both of you talking to me there, and I couldn't really say anything. (laughs) That was great. Um, I don't have much to say about Adele is fine. Yeah, it was part of a six-day trip, so it wasn't all about Adele. It, just... it could have been, though. Yeah, it would have been all right. It could always, always be about Adele. Mm-hmm. What about football? Do we want to talk about football? We can we can <laughs> talk football. So I'm going to I'm gonna give Brunt back the, uh, the microphone. <laughs> okay. Since you guys have been the ones that have actually been working, uh, it makes more sense to let you have the opinions and the discussion and everything. And I'll just sit here as an interested listener – in what did you learn in your conversations with the coaches last week and Nebraska's first spring practice in the Scott Frost era? That was a great lead-in, but, I mean, we're only two minutes into the banter here. Do you have any good Vegas stories? I figured we could save those for the end when we weren't passing the mic back and forth. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, I'll ask uh, I'll ask Brunts, and then he can ask me the same exact question. We we hopped around to tables on last Wednesday. There was ten assistant coaches. They're all at different tables, so we each talked to different guys. Tell me what was like your biggest takeaways? Who you talked to? Um, you know, funny stories, all of that. Uh, well, talked to several coaches. Um... Travis Fisher and Greg Austin probably being the most interesting of the ones that I spoke with. Uh, Fisher was pretty blunt about the work he's done thus far to try to change the culture in the defensive back room, uh, going so far as to not name names, but say that there were basically some guys who were used to doing things a certain way um, in his room who very quickly had to learn to do them a different way. Um, so, I mean, you can draw from that what you will, but he's excited about that room and kind of what's there. Um, with Greg Austin, it was an interesting discussion because he, he talked a lot about his time at Nebraska, which if you remember, he battled injuries a mm-hmm. lot. Um, like I, I would be surprised if he has any knee cartilage left um, just based on kind of the issues he had as a player. And, you know, he talked about that and kind of how by the time he got to the end of his career, he really, you know, 
kind of had a love-hate relationship with football before he got back into coaching. So, uh, you know, I, I think he's pretty excited about the group that he has. He has a veteran group that he likes um, and also uh, kind of talked about what he what he looks for in, in those guys. And he wants guys who compete. He wants guys who are, um, you know, every day coming to win a job and going so far as to tell this anecdote about uh, grabbing napkins or competing with uh, Zach Duvall at lunch to see who could grab a napkin the fastest with uh, Coach DeWitt providing the uh, one, two, three, go for the competition. <laughs> so um, Who won? He, he never said, so I'm guessing it was probably Duvall. Oh. Um, but that, that was probably, uh, I think, a good window into kind of what he expects from that group. Who, who was the most interesting that you talked to? Yeah, you, you, you could probably guess who I'm going to say. You, you got the Verdusco experience. Yeah, I like Mario Verdusco's fun. He is a, he's a fun guy to talk to. He, he said some, you know, I believe him when he talks about the quarterbacks and it being an even race in his mind. I know some people have this idea because – they recruited Adrian Martinez and handpicked him that that he has an advantage but you know he was asked straight up like a guy like Patrick O'Brien some people are going to assume and I think it's a bad assumption because he can move a little bit but that he can't run and Mario Verdusco basically said I'm not assuming anything about any of these guys at this point I have no preconceived notions I've had guys like at Northern Iowa he brought up a quarterback he was 6'3 230 pounds and if you looked at his measurables and just saw that on paper, you'd be like, oh, that guy can't run. He's just a pocket guy. It turns out the guy really could move pretty well, and he could do all the things they wanted to in the offense. So he's very open and believable when he says it, when he speaks of Jebby and O'Brien, and it's a blank slate. He has no – he's not going to – whatever other people think those guys' skill sets are, he's not assuming that's the case, basically. He wants to see for himself. Do those guys, I mean, now that they are a couple months into this thing, they're on the other side of signing day, they're getting ready to start spring football, did they appear to be pretty comfortable that, you know, this is their their job, their digs, this is what they've got going on in front of them? It's no, Maybe that new feeling has started to fade a bit, and now it's, you know, there's no longer the UCF national champions, now it's Nebraska 2018. Yeah, I think they've kind of moved on from that. And I think they also, I, I got it at every table that they had spent the time from signing day to when we met with them, basically learning how guys tick and how to converse with them. And every guy communicates differently and, you know, is going to have different emotions and how you handle them. And they tried to figure that out. And uh, Sean Becton said that's something Scott Frost really impresses on his staff as he wants them to do that with his players. But it, Sean Becton also said, okay, we're past that point. I feel like I understand these guys now, at least kind of as people, the beginning parts of it. And now it's just let's get to the football and let's figure out what they can really do on the field. So I think it's been a really useful time since signing day, figuring out um, the different personalities on their roster. And, you know, even, even doing savvy stuff like, having the practice last Friday, I think people wondered, okay, why did you have one practice before the spring break? That seems kind of silly. Well, there was a reason for it. Frost knew that the NCAA rules would allow them to then have their position group meetings all that week. And so they had that one practice so they could have more time with the guys and talking and scheme and all that stuff. So 
it appears that everything, just like it was in recruiting when they took the job and it seemed really well laid out, it seems you're seeing some of that now in, in just how they go about their formation of spring practices and doing everything. Yeah, the, the thing that kind of stood out from the conversations was it just there's such a, or at least there seems to be such a purpose with everything that they've done. And there doesn't seem to be a lot that's kind of left up to, you know, happenstance or um, a, a detail that's, you know, overlooked. And I, I think that that's been, you know, we'll see, I guess, in the fall if that's the case and if, if that kind of leads to more uh, wins on the field. But it, it just seemed like those guys were like, okay, we've done this. This is what the blueprint looks like. We're going to follow that blueprint here. Yes, things might be different, but at the same time, you know, we, we kind of have the parameters and the framework mm -hmm. of, of how we can make this point in the right direction. Yeah, and I also talked to Travis Fisher a little bit too, and you liked how just kind of blunt he was. And one of the things he said, and I'm glad he said it, was obviously it was a quick turnaround at UCF to get it from zero wins to an undefeated season. It's incredible. But as a coach, he was pointing out, you know, that first year was not easy. Like everybody acts like it was just smooth sailing right once they got there, and it it went pretty well to get to six wins and go to a bowl game. But his point was it was still difficult that first season with Scott at UCF kind of getting guys going, and they lost more games than they won that year. And I think it's a good reminder with all the hype that's going to surround the next few weeks and when we get to the spring game and fall camp that that first year had a lot of bumps in the road at down in Orlando too. And guys had to figure out how to deal with – some adversity and losses and how to handle it and it didn't just all come easily and that should be obvious to people when they look at their records but it's good when some of those coaches sometimes kind of remind that it's not just a straight line to where they got did did fisher talk about the challenge he has ahead of him with kind of a small room and finding defensive backs that he's going to be comfortable out on the field. I mean, he's a – Yeah, he's got a tough job, I think. Yeah, he was – when I spoke with him and I had a chance to talk with him in February, he was pretty blunt about how he was leaving a pretty developed, pretty deep room in Central Florida and was starting from scratch at Nebraska. Yeah, one of the things that stuck out is how he cross-trains those guys in the spring and he's going to – he's going to put – corners that are usually corners they're going to play some safety at times and he wants to put them in positions where they have to tackle and then he wants to put some safeties in spots where they're going to have to cover one-on-one -on -one more so all their skills are useful and um, he doesn't want to be predictable on that back end like he doesn't want the opponent to be able to look and say that's a boundary corner we can attack the boundary corner he doesn't even really want the opponent to know who a, the a boundary corner is because he doesn't label a guy like that so um, I think what stuck out to me is he's going to try a lot of guys all over the place and the puzzle pieces will probably have to come together near the end of the spring, maybe even in the fall camp. And the a guy, we talked a little bit about it, but a guy I'd really watch this spring is Deontay Williams because he is that guy who can play all those positions. Maybe he's not an every down man-to-man -man corner. His Juco coach would say that's maybe stretching a little bit, but he could do that, and he could play safety. You could put him in a nickel. And so I think he's going to be a guy who, if I were to say you want to bet on somebody who just got here that is going to help immediately, I think he's a good bet. Yeah, to listen to Barrett Rude talk about, and speaking of another newcomer, I mean, Will Honus is going to have 
a role and a prominent one in, in that defense. Um, you know, he was asked a number of times about him uh, in the time I was sitting there, but, you know, the way that he's kind of talked about the fact that Rude very quickly kind of zeroed in on him, um, I, I think, you know, he's going to be a big piece of, you know, what Nebraska is going to want to do in, in the middle there. And, you know, we've heard that and we know that Will Honus doesn't talk much. Uh, he's all about business. But, um, you know, I, I think when you go back and look at the recruiting class that Nebraska brought in, he's going to be the guy that you point to as, as probably being one of the bigger gets in that class. Yeah, and they haven't – they've never been shy since they got him about thinking he's going to be something, have they? I mean, it's just like every time he comes up, um, they expect something. I, I was going to ask you guys – just kind of what your early impressions are of actually Scott Frost and just kind of how he handles the the media so far and some of the, you know, just being the head man. Because um, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know why I thought this, but I'm actually a little surprised. I've, he's just really straightforward, I think. Like, he, I mean, he puts it all out there and he doesn't hide his opinion at all and I don't know exactly what I was expecting. Um, but I think there was kind of this thought, like he's not going to lay out the injury report I don't think during the season like Mike Riley did all the time and stuff like that and I'm sure we're going to see a different Scott Frost in September than we see now when it gets a little bit more intense but um he just seems to be kind of enjoying being the head coach in Nebraska and and taking on the being in the spotlight I think yeah it's you're not going to get him quoting Prairie Home Companion like like Mike Riley did yeah. but I I think that you know, he kind of enjoys a little bit of the back and forth. He's got got the jokes, like he works the room a little bit. Um, I was a little concerned that um, he puts frou-frou creamer in his coffee, which he openly admitted to on Friday morning. That concerned you? It was a little concerning. You, you um, just take it straight, huh? Yeah. me. I, I'm a straight, straight, uh, straight diesel what do you guy th- what like, do you th- like What do you think of us guys that uh... – that do that you dress it up a little bit Uh, yeah of course i do how much oh they always leave too much you know when you go to the coffee shop schaefer can't even be in this conversation he doesn't even need the mic nope uh pointed but you know have you you've ever have you ever asked for cream at a coffee store yeah you know and you say they say do you need a little room at the top and then they cheat you they give you like yeah making this is bad podcast radio but they give you way too much room um, I don't need that much. I just need a little. So, so you go back in and fill it in. Yeah, I think the word that Frost used was foofy. Foofy, that's right. F, which was kind of a combination of foo-foo and something else. Which he so he made up a word and everybody loved it. Yeah, he kind of he wore it a little bit, which I think you have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I guess I appreciated that, but that 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 was probably my main takeaway from Friday's practice is that he. Uh, you're saying Nebraska football is going to be soft. I'm just saying. <laughs> is what you're saying. It just seems a little a little not hard-edged. Yeah. The, the other takeaway, I guess, for, besides the foofy comment was uh, they had a good day uh, for a first day. It's, let's not overdo it here, but no pads. And I think the biggest deal uh, was that the coaching staff had actually been through a day together like that at UCF. So they, they knew what to expect and it helped, it helped them go at a fast pace. Now the big question going forward, 
and I wrote about it today on our site is, you know, they're going to go fast. They're going to do 130 to 140 reps of practice. And we're going to see how well conditioned those guys really are and if they can keep up and, and who can handle it. Cause it's, it's going to be boom, boom, boom. Once they get going again next uh, Tuesday, I think it is. Well, that's kind of exciting. All of this I didn't know anything about, though I could have read about it at Nebraska.247sports.com, I suppose. Could have given a few clicks, wouldn't it hurt you? So maybe maybe that was my problem. I was I was too busy at the tables, though, to, to pull myself away from the did phone. Win? I did win. I did win. We, we need to finish up some other stuff, though, before we get into Is there anything else you want to cover from last week, football-wise? Um, I... I don't know. I mean, I've been writing about uh, spring curiosities, and those are just things in my brain, but I'd be interested maybe to hear what you guys are looking for. Um, It's putting you on the spot a little bit. Do you got one? Do you got one? Things that I'm curious about for the spring? Yeah, like what 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 most intrigues you when they step back on the field next week and we got to go over there and, and, and do our stuff? Uh, I'll be really curious what the linebacker situation kind of looks like. Guys like Guy Thomas, if they end up being who people hope that they are, that he can take over a little bit stronger of a role. I mean, you're you moved a guy and Ben Still from or Stilly from that position, so you need somebody like Quayshon Alexander, Guy Thomas, some of these guys to to take over. Because I I just don't think that Alex Davis or Cedric King is going to do it. And so, do they have any of those guys that can be the pass rushing? And people are going to get reps. I mean, Luke Gifford isn't going to practice this spring, and he's a guy that I bet plays for him in the fall. So, to me, that linebacker spot's just really interesting as to who's getting the work, where they're getting the work, and how good they look doing it. And that doesn't say anything about the inside linebacker spot, which is going to be really contentious with a lot of people pushing for those two spots. O line is going to be a little interesting too because center, the guys that you would say are the main competitors are not there to begin. And Michael Decker and who am I? Who am I thinking of? Cole Conrad. Yep, Cole Conrad. So I mean, Tanner Farmer could get some work there, and so that spot will be kind of interesting. Um, I'm I'm re- I'm just really intrigued by the JUCO guys because there's so many of them. When I was doing that five newcomers list, it it was pretty easy because you just go through and you look at all these. There's there were four JUCOs that came to mind right away, like guys like Mike Williams and stuff like that. And obviously they didn't come here to just sit around. So um, aside from Adrian Martinez, who's the obvious huge attraction, you are going to be drawn to all those guys that have basically two years to play. And do they look the part in the spring like they could uh, like they could help you out right away? I, I think for me the big one's the line. I mean, I, you've got veteran guys. You've got guys probably coming off the milk carton in Raritan and Wilson. Um, you got to find somebody to play tackle. Um, you know, the, there's question there's question marks all over the place there, um, and kind of where guys land. I think will be interesting to see because they, they've got a lot of bodies there and some veteran guys that maybe haven't played that well in the past that I think could maybe find their jobs up for grabs here a little bit and you know at UCF they move linemen around a lot I don't think they're going to do it yet because guys don't have that knowledge base yet but I, I wouldn't be surprised by 
you know, middle of the season that they feel comfortable maybe moving guys to get their best five on the field. Yeah. Sean Becton's got an interesting room too. I mean, a lot of guys that you like when they were recruited here. Um, and Jack Stoll, I think, looked pretty good near the end of the season when he actually got a chance. But basically, aside from Stoll getting to kind of dip the toes in the water, they really didn't. None of those guys have hardly played snaps at tight end at Nebraska. And so you're thinking about, you know, Austin Allen, Matt Snyder, Ingle Hop. Um, all those guys have to feel like they have a shot right now because nobody really, aside from a little bit of Stoll, has played. Yeah, I would like to purchase stock in Austin Allen this spring, I think. I think he's going to be someone that they're going to find ways to utilize his size and get him on the field. He's more athletic than people probably would give him credit for initially. He's not heavy. I mean, he's put on some good weight in the time that he's been here, but he hasn't you know, bulked up too much where he's lost any speed. He's, he's someone that I think really fits what they want out of that wide receiver split out tight end position and then Justin McGriff is uh, another freshman that's here on campus already as yep. well too and so he's going to be part of that room in addition to working with the wide receivers and and kind of splitting his time in those two spots so those are two guys I think could be really pretty interesting for him because they they're not the traditional tight ends and they fit a little bit more mm -hmm. what UCF had recruited and what Nebraska is going to be recruiting going forward. Yeah. Becton said it's, it's different because the UCF, their guys were more like wide receivers playing tight end. And he said what this room when he came in and he, I think he likes it. He knows he's got to go in the big 10 and you got to have some big physical guys there probably more so than you did at UCF because of the league you play in. Um, so he said these are just like more true tight ends and it's, it's just a different thing, not good or bad. It's just different. So yeah, that's some of the stuff that kind of stuck out last week and, um, uh, there's a lot of energy over there and there should be, I mean, what, why wouldn't there be? I mean, it's, there's people feel like it's trending North and now they got to go prove it. Mike, the other thing that you missed, which is a big thing to miss is the most exciting day of the year of the football calendar. Pro Day. You missed Pro Day. Oh, yeah, there was Pro Day. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I, like, actually forgot that there was Pro Day already. That was also Wednesday. Yeah, it was. It was a loaded day of football. Brian. Oh, boy. What did you learn on Pro Day? Uh, Tanner Lee had a good day, and I know some people are going to roll their eyes at it. They're going to say, of course, there were no defensive backs on the field. But, I mean, it is uh, – he did what he was supposed to do. They made a script um, that allowed him to throw different routes than you can throw at the combine. They, they like, have, like, eight, you know, routes they run in Indianapolis, and here he wanted to show off a few more things. And he went through it with Pearson L and uh, a receiver he had at Tulane, and uh, Luke McNitt was out there. Luke McNitt actually had a really good day, and I – I wouldn't discount him. He's going to get a shot, like at least to go to a camp. He's going to another combine somewhere. And that, so that was one of those stories of somebody who you weren't really thinking about when you showed up there, but you're like, Oh, I could see where, you know, he could play special teams. And some people are going to be like, maybe he can be like Janovich, you know, at the next level. And so I'd watch him. Uh, but Lee had a good day uh, for what it was threw a ball like 65 yards, hit a guy in stride, so he showed off all that stuff, which we know he already has. It's just the you, – you can't prove on that field that 
you're not going to do that. You can knock the interceptions away. That's his problem. You can't do that until you do it at the next level. Yeah, I mean, his problem is he needs more experience, and he can't really get that, I mean, through a simulated practice field at a combine. How did uh, – how did some of those other guys that performed at the Combine, Joshua Kalu, Chris Jones, were they active during Pro Day, or do they let their Combine results kind of speak for themselves? Both of them, I thought, did pretty well in Indy. Yeah, they did a few things. Uh, Kalu, and, Kalu and Jones, I think, were well, – Kalu didn't talk to us, but I he had a – Yeah, <laughs> shocking. But, I mean, he, he had a really good Indy. And then uh, I think Chris Jones – uh, was pretty happy, all considered. And I think one of the biggest things with Chris Jones is he didn't go into great detail about it, but I'm I'm sure they put him through every test you could with that knee, and he came out okay. Um, so I think he's optimistic about his chances of, of getting drafted. I don't know. Both him and Kalu are going to be interesting. They're kind of like back in, back back of the draft type guys if it happens for them. So We'll see. DeMornay Pearsonell had a good day, too. I uh, didn't talk to the media either. Those guys just don't like us, I guess, on their way out. But uh, And Nate Gary didn't stop either. <laughs> no, Nate Gary gave the cold shoulder to us. Uh, I, I noticed that there were scouts that were paying extra close attention to Kalu. And I, I think that some of the marks that he had in Indianapolis, the, the vertical, the, the broad jump, I think that definitely kind of – caught some people's eyes and you know when he was going through some of that testing again i noticed that there were more than a handful of scouts that made sure that they were front and center for for what he was going through uh the other guy that was th- th- there were other former huskers that were going through things as well tommy armstrong was there mm-hmm. uh josh banderas was also there uh and mo cisse was the one that uh who's been in the league been in the league been with the the lions and uh the Seahawks had some an Achilles injury, had a uh, a shoulder injury. He was back trying to get get back through again. He uh, hadn't been in Lincoln. He said since 2014. So wow. he was uh, he was back going through. What it again. an interesting career because he was really a highly touted JUCO guy, barely played, and then actually among you know, that, that crop of guys got more of a chance in the NFL than, than some did. Yeah. I mean, it was an utter waste of, uh, talent. Schaefer was like demanding the microphone to say that. Well, I mean, it was, I mean, they basically had an NFL body type corner and they just chose not to use them. Yeah. They chose to bury them as far as they could on the, the depth chart often. So he got, (laughs) Not quite a Seahawk. Just to beat him up on special teams. I don't know if what game was that. He got Mo Cisse took one of the most brutal hits I ever saw on special teams. Like didn't have his head on a swivel and it he got knocked out. I can't remember who the to Corey Raymond would have been the lead recruiter for him, I think. If he was part of that twenty twelve class. Yeah, it was Raymond and then Terry Joseph yeah. actually coached him. And then Terry Joseph uh, just buried him. Wouldn't let him play dime for him or peso or whatever it was. Wanted nothing to do with him. It was it was weird. It was a weird situation. I have never understood that one. Uh, good for him. Glad that he's trying to make it back in the, the league. Uh, any of these guys, so how many people, and we can get into this closer to the draft, but just coming off of pro day, how many people you think are going to get drafted out of that group? 
I think Lee's going to get drafted. I think Kalu's going to get drafted. I don't know about Chris Jones. I used to think that. Um, I'm, I say I think there'll be three guys that get drafted, and I'm trying to. Th- I'm going to leave one open to like a surprise. You think Nick Gates is going to get drafted? I thought he would have a lot better combine than he did, yeah. and I don't know how his pro day went either. But I don't think it yeah. was significantly better than his combine. He didn't really do a lot. He didn't. He didn't even bench. Really? That was maybe the thing he needed to do. Um, what do you think on Lee? Like fifth round, somebody can't. You know, like, I think he's, he's the first arm. person off the board for Nebraska, and I yeah. think it'll be the fifth round, fifth sixth yeah. round. I think Kalu definitely is going to get taken too. Is like a late round flyer developmental guy. Those are the only two. I guess I should just say it, leave it at that. Those are the only two. I feel like pretty confident saying they're going to get drafted. Chris Jones wouldn't shock me just because I, you know, he had a. I mean, a year ago, we were talking like he was going to be a mid-round guy. Yeah. Um, and some people are just going to throw away his senior year and say, okay, he had a knee injury, and we think he's healthy. And I, I could see him being like a sixth, seventh-round guy maybe, but it's always so hard to predict. You, it, it, just it just takes, takes one, one team to team like you. Yeah. thinks you got a great – you can f- understand their scheme and you got the skills and you're in. Should we uh... – Transition to something else. Little hoops, hoops time. Sure. Talk a little Tim Miles meeting, yeah. meeting, meeting with Moose in the lodge. I saw him at Lead Belly today. How do you look? He looked, he looked happy. Good meeting. <laughs> what uh, final four is coming up? That's kind of the time when you see a lot of movement, coaching wise, uh, assistants moving around. Uh, jobs open now. Do you? What do you expect the time frame to be for when we will hear something about a result of that meeting? It's all guesswork, but I would. I don't think they're going to let this just hang in the wind that long. I wouldn't think. I mean, it doesn't seem like you would. You would need that much time to kind of decide what you're going to do. You, you should have kind of already known. I don't. I don't think your decision should be based off of what happened against Mississippi state or anything like that. So you should have known like the last like three to four weeks kind of, okay, I feel like this is trending positively or there's some, there's some warning signs here. I don't really like, and I, even though they had a better year than some thought, I'm going to do something people don't expect. I don't think that's going to happen. What, what is curious to me is it's a weird situation because he's only on a two year deal and if they just like roll over the contract, that that would be kind of odd because that's not like showing any faith at all, really. But then if they add two or three years, you know, that's going to be met by some resistance from a lot of skeptics still. So in a way, they're in, Bill Moose is kind of in that. This is one of those situations where he's not a, he's in a tough spot, actually, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't anticipate that Nebraska would let him go. Um but especially uh, it wouldn't be because of the end of the season. I, I just don't think you would hold the loss at Mississippi State uh, to be that sort of thing that that's why you make that decision. It, it wouldn't shock me if, if Miles were to leave on his own volition, but again, I mean, the jobs would have already sort of been opened up now, so I don't really know. I don't know why you haven't heard anything at this point. It seems odd, like Brian said. I mean, the, the timing of all of this is – different um no announcement of an extension even a 
two-year, bump them up to three total years kind of thing. The other thing, I wonder if people are waiting to find out what the plans are for some of the guys on the team. I don't look for Isaac Copeland to be back next year, um, not because he's unhappy, but because he'll likely move on to try to play professionally to make a little bit of money while he still has a healthy back and healthy knees and everything else. And then James Palmer, you got to find out if he's going to try to put his name in the NBA draft. I mean, those are some big things that are going to reflect what this team is going to look like. And if you're Tim Miles and you're betting on yourself next year to get a big extension and you lose both of those guys, all of a sudden there's not a whole lot of help coming immediately for next year's team. Xavier Johnson looks exciting. Uh, They picked up the guy from the prep school near Atlanta, I think. Brunts, help me out here. Florida. Florida. What's his, what's his name? Carrington Davis. Tell us about him. Carrington Davis, a former – he's a native of St. Louis, uh, went down to Montverde Academy in Florida. Um, kind of a do-it-all, could play a two, three, four in college. Um, he's got – coming off of a hip injury, so that's going to limit him a little bit. But uh, that – with him, Xavier Johnson, and then Brady Hyman are the, the three guys you've got in the class right now. Hyman's probably a developmental guy, needs to add some weight. Um, and, you know, I, I think Nebraska is going back to the uh, wheel of Rama on, on the transfer game. So he's from the Lou. And he's proud. Yeah, I was going to do a little. Oh, you, you're going to, sorry. Go ahead. Slam, sing it loud. I'm from the Lou, and I'm proud. Run a mile for the cause. I'm righteous above the law. Nelly. I've been told by no less than three people that their favorite moment ever in the podcast was you reading off, uh, was it, Back That Ass Up? Yeah. I'm going down, down, baby. Your street in a Range Rover. Street sweeper, baby. Cocked ready to let it go. Shimmy, shimmy, cocoa what? Listen to it pound. Oh, I, I'll stop there. I, I could probably get away with that, but I'm going to let it go. <laughs> All right, well, I mean, I think that this needs to be a weekly thing at this point. Uh, if you have submissions for songs you'd like to hear BC read portions of during the podcast, please tweet them at us. Brunts, where can they do that? Uh, at Mike J. Schaefer, is that... <laughs> um, also, something that came up about your, your childhood this week, um, an anonymous Syracuse player <laughs> apparently took a cheap shot at Nebraska being flat and having a lot of farms, yeah, similar did. to Missouri, and you said that you learned a lot bailing hay as a child. And I'm curious, how did you fit that all in between playing quarterback, point guard, and working at runs Well, up? you know, at Omaha North High School, there was a very popular hay baling program after school. That's that's what the kids did on 36 the names. So yeah, that's where that came from. It kind of sounds like the TV joke in Blue Chips like you're just taking that to get your grade so you can play. You don't just watch the two. <laughs> I did not ever uh do anything with hay bales, but I did shovel manure. Um uh, my one of my best friends lived in a farm. This is true in the Elkhorn area. This was before, you know, now there's like a Walmart there probably, but this is back in the day. Those who know Omaha, where if you went past 156 and Maple, there was nothing out there. You know that, Brunts. You can back me up on that. Yep. And so 
they had kind of this farmland and I helped them shovel manure and we, it was disgusting. We like got in a manure fight and we were, <laughs> we were like t- 10 years old, but, um, that's, that, that's all I got. Today in BC's childhood, manure fights. How does one get in a manure fight? Were you guys like, were there shovels involved or were you Yeah, like... we were shoveling it. We were supposed to move the manure from like some place to some place, point A to point B, and someone, you know, when you're that age, decided, I'm going to fling this in your face, dude, and then it was on, like Donkey Kong, you know, and so that's, that's what happened. All right, well, should we finish this up with a uh, brief update of Nebraska baseball and where things are at right now? Brunson's shaking his head. Just score um, update. What's a score the, update? I'll just it's say. currently 11 to 10, Nebraska. All right, what inning? Uh, headed to the ninth. Headed to the ninth. 11-10, Nebraska in the ninth. What do you think that bullpen ERA is for Nebraska at this point? Is it south of seven? Maybe. I'm enjoying the passing back and forth here. It's <laughs> it's great. Brunswick is one word answer. We're gonna have it. We're back. gonna have our three mics next next week, and we're gonna be we're gonna have a great rhythm then. All right. Anything else we need to to finish up with? Brunts is signaling for us to get the hell out of here. He's done. It was a masterpiece. I I thought this was pretty good. I figured <laughs> we could just roll with two mics the rest of the the rest of the the way here, but Brunts uh, not so much. Just, he he was deep ne- done. Next week, I'll share my experience. Uh, I'm on the Duke basketball beat the next four days. At the, it's true. In Omaha, so that I can raise some trouble there. Will you point out to Grayson Allen that you were probably a better player than he was at roughly the same age? <laughs> I could, yeah, I might. Uh, Just I might go Mike that. Wallace on Coach K if they get bounced. <laughs> yeah. You going to do it? Would you? Would you? What would you do if you were just like sitting there watching? Do you ever watch like ESPN News after a team gets bounced just for to watch the awkward press conference? And you just heard Brian Christopherson twenty four seven sports, you know? And I, I just went after him. Would would you enjoy that? Yes, I'd love it. <laughs> love every minute of it. it. I mean, it wouldn't be one of the worst questions asked in an NCAA tournament press conference this year because there was the Eric Musselman. Uh, you're a really hydrated coach. Are you ever concerned about having to pee on the sideline question that was asked in the middle of a press conference? You missed that in Vegas too. Yeah. Should I, I could ask him like, Coach K, are you at all worried about your legacy after this one? Just get, get it into it. You feel like you've lost a, yeah. you've lost it. Mm-hmm. Do you think Cherokee Parks approves of this loss? Would you like to apologize to Duke Nation, the guy who's not even – associated with it at all i i hope you get that opportunity yeah probably not gonna happen but it'd be terrific for everybody involved well if you don't want to know more about duke basketball you can always find out more about nebraska at nebraska.247sports.com we should have plenty of content i'll be covering baseball this weekend should be exciting i'm looking forward to four hour games each of the three days friday saturday and sunday Already 90% chance of rain on Friday, so that's exciting. Could be a doubleheader. I could be Michael Brunts for the weekend. I've never wanted anything Sucks, more. <laughs> As always, uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast.